Okay, so now instead, I'll start with a with a mice. First of all, it's, um, the, I think the share today is zecher to zecher nishmas my uncle, my dear uncle um, Yossi Yossi Yitzchak Ben Reb Shalom Deiver, who is um, a very special person. I'm not going to say now anything really drushes about my uncle, but when I was asked to give a share on his yard site, I didn't have a lot of options um, because he was very dear, a very close uncle, and anything we do for his chus is for me as chus as well. So I want to start with a Misa, a story. Um, anyone heard of the great chassid Reb Mendel Futterfass? Anybody? Reb Mendel Futterfass is one of the great chassidim of our generation. Um, the literal, thank you so much, the literal term of a Baal Mesiras Nefesh. Right? Today, you know, today Baruch Hashem, uh, to be a Yid is easier in most situations. But in uh, back in communist Russia, to be a Yid, to be a from Yid, Terah Mitzvahs, and Shabbos, and Kashrus, and Chinuch, was mysterious, not literal mysterious nefesh. And many people were, um, when, when the communist government began, so many of the Gdali Yisrael, and from Yidin just left Russia because it was impossible to be a regular Shemir Terah Mitzvahs there. But millions of Yidin couldn't leave. And the Free Yidin Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak, also Rabbi Yitzchak, and he decided to stay, and he said, it's our job to keep Yiddishkeit going in Russia. And he sent hundreds, maybe thousands of chassidim to the four corners of Russia to teach, to teach Torah, to make chadarim, and yeshivas, and mikvois, and shuls. And many of them were imprisoned, and many of them were killed. But that's what they did for Yiddishkeit. So one of these people was Reb Mendel Futterfass, and he was a chassid of the Friedrich Rebbe at the time. And he actually was newly married, maybe a child or two, I don't remember. And his wife and child or two got out of Russia, but he decided to stay further in order to help Yidin with their Yiddishkeit. And ultimately he was arrested. And he was, I think, nine years or eight years that he spent in jail until he was freed and came to first England, then America, then Israel. And he became the mashpia of the Lubavitchi Yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. Anyhow, I had the very good fortune in 1993 to go as a, as a shliach of the Rebbe to that Yeshiva in Kfar Chabad, so that I got to know Remendel Futterfas. He was older than me, about 70 years, but we were good friends. I mean, he was uh, almost 90 and I was almost 20. And um, I would spend a lot of time in his house and talk with him. So I remember it was one time, it was a Friday night, and I said, Remendel, Remendel, I said, everyone here understands Yiddish? Not so much? English is better? Yeah. Good. So I said, Remendel, could you tell me a story about when you were in jail? Just something, whatever, just something. So Remendel said, you want to hear? Okay, fine. So he says like this, he says, um, so, I, so I was in jail, and it was before Pesach. And one of the one of the things before Pesach always for those chassidim in jail is that they were very, very concerned would they get matzah? Because it wasn't necessarily illegal to have matzah in jail, but you'd have to get it. So your wife or a chassid or someone had to send the matzahs. And the Russian guard who was there, who typically wasn't a great Jew lover, had to let it in. So there's a big concern. Would he get matzah for Pesach or not? He says, we were very worried a week, two weeks before Pesach. And Baruch Hashem was right before Pesach and matzah arrived. Baruch Hashem. But then I thought to myself, says Remendel, that okay, I got matzah today, but 
But who says I'm going to get matzah next year? After all, I have a long prison term here. So I decided to put away, take a part of it for now, for this year, and put away a part for next year. So, okay. So, I, so that's what I did. I ate part of the matzah and I put away part for next year. And then, so I'm listening, just like you're listening, and Ramendel like starts smiling to himself as if he said a joke. So I say, Ramendel, what's the joke? So he says, he says, where do you think I put away the matzah? After all, a, a Russian jail looked something like one cell, and in that cell was 10 criminals, Goyim, and me, and there's no shelves, and there's no cubbies, and there's no lockers. And it's always a hunger. It's always a hunger in jail. So we're, you put down the matzah for a minute, it's gone. So where did I put the matzah? I said, that's a um, good question. Where did you put the matzah? She says, I held it. I said, yeah, for how long? For a year. Until the next Pesach. Sometime in my right hand, sometime in my left hand. I wrapped it in paper. Sometimes I put it under my uh, shoulder, armpit, whatever, and I held it. And I never put the matzah down for a year for next Pesach. Now, but even if you're going to hold something, and I'm thinking, like, I try to hold something for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you get tired. 20 minutes, a half hour, an hour, just keep on multiplying. A day, two days, three days, four days. And then it says, but once a week, even in a Russian jail, once a week, they took them to, to be showered. Where do you put the matzah down for the shower? Can't take it into the shower with you. So he says, well, so for that, he developed, he devised a plan. Every day from the food that he got, he gave part of it to the biggest, strongest criminal in the jail. And that was his payoff. So that when he goes in once a week for the shower, he held the matzah for him. And that's how he was a whole year until the next Pesach. So I said to Mendel, and what happened before next Pesach? Did matzah come? So yeah, matzah came. <laughs> that was a story that he told me. So I remember a couple of weeks after that, a couple of weeks later, and I came back with my younger brother. And I said, Remendel, could you tell over the story with the matzah? I want my, my brother also to hear the story with the matzah. So Remendel says, fine, he said over the story. And remember, my brother is like, his jaw drops and goes like, wow, that's Masira Snafesh. And Remendel says, Masira Snafesh? You got it? That's doing a mitzvah. You got to do a mitzvah. You have to make sure you do a mitzvah. That was his attitude, Remendel. So the question is, is that mysterious nefesh or is that not mysterious nefesh? To hold something for a whole year because maybe I won't be able to do the mitzvah properly next year. Maybe I won't have, maybe I will have. So somehow the Mendel didn't see it as mysterious nefesh. For most of us, that's like crazy. So I was once sitting by a fabring with some friends and someone suggested, he says, says, what if we change one word in the story? Instead of matzah, say it's a priceless family, uh, what's it called? Irlum, how do you say the word? Irlum, like a diamond bracelet or necklace or whatever. And a person's in jail and they hold on to it always. Does the story suddenly start making a little sense? Now, if it's so precious and so special, say so you hold on to it no matter what, right? No matter what, then it sort of makes sense. So the question just is, how do we look at a mitzvah? 
Knows if in Rebendel Futterfass's mind, a mitzvah was as precious as any priceless, precious gem or ruby or family, whatever it is, that's every mitzvah of Hashem. So in his mind, it wasn't special, Messiah Snafish. He was holding on to it because what else would you hold on to it? So maybe that's why Rebendel didn't see it as such mysterious Snafish. But then the question is so, how do we get to there? How do we start appreciating every mitzvah in that way to have that level of dedication and devotion to a mitzvah that no matter what, to hold on to it, even though sometimes it's more comfortable, sometimes it's less comfortable. Anyways, that's a Maisa from Remendel, a Pesach Tika Maisa that I heard from him, but it's not, what is it now? I test. 25 years ago, 26 years ago maybe. That's a first-hand story from Remendel. Okay, let's learn a little Tanya, a ta- at least a Tanya concept. So you said we should talk about Pirik Memzayim, maybe we'll get to that. But let's talk about an earlier place in Tanya, which also talks about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and that is... You said you're in Chavtes or Lamed? Chavtes. Chavtes. Okay, so Nachal Chavtes, the story about the Miraglim. I'll go on to Perik Lamed Aleph. Okay, so a little bit ahead of where you are. Perik Lamed Aleph. The Alter Rebbe brings there an interesting pasuk that it says about Yitzhiah's Mitzrayim. It says, Ki Barach Ha'om. What does Barach mean? Escaped. Exactly. The word in Hebrew for escape is bricha, barach. The Pasuk says, ki barach ha'om, the nation escaped from Mitzrayim. Anybody remembers we are in Chumash, it says, ki barach ha'om? Who's marking here? <laughs> huh? I'm sorry? What do you mean earlier? No, 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 never mind. You're talking about Shevet Ephraim? Yeah. No. I mean, Shevet Ephraim's leaving is not mentioned in Chumash. Oh. It's mentioned in other places, but not in Chumash. So the passage is about, you got Lamelech Mitzrayim ki barach ha'om. When, when Pari started chasing them, after the whole Yitzhak Mitzrayim, seven days later, you have the story of Kiris Yamsuf. So there the passage says in the beginning of Pasha's Bishalach, you got Lamelech Mitzrayim. It was told over to the king of Mitzrayim ki barach ha'om that the nation ran away. They escaped. And therefore, Pari decided to run after them, and that led to the whole story of Kiris Yamsuf. Now the question is, why is it called an escape? What does escape typically mean? When do you when you escape? When you like go out the back door when nobody's looking? The Eden didn't escape from Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim sent them out of Mitzrayim. There was ten Makis, and then there was Makis Bechiris, and then Pari came and said, leave. So why is leaving Mitzrayim called a bricha? Why is it called an escape? Anyone? I'm asking a pshat question, not a deep question, a pshat, pshat question. The Pasuk says that Yusiris Mitzrayim is called a bricha, an escape. And the question is, why? We didn't escape. They said leave. They like forgot that they said leave. They forgot? Okay. <laughs> they pretended to forget. Okay. But but still, the Pasuk says, Ki it's good answers, but that then the words Ki is not really true. Which is okay, because maybe the Mitzrayim said Kibarach But it doesn't sound like that. It sounds from the Torah that the Torah calls Yitzhiah's Mitzrayim an escape, a bricha. Any other answers? This is something that if you think about, you can get, you can get it on your own. Could you say? What? We were talking about it. Could we say? Of course we could say. Anyone? Excellent. That's the answer. That is the correct answer. Because really, we just said, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Pari, we want to leave for three days. 
So even though there was ten makos and there's makos b'chayrus, the pirate says, "Okay, go, 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 go." But he really meant go the way you asked, which is three days. And then after three days, we didn't come back. So that's what the pasuk means in the beginning of b'shalach. By Yugad l'Melech Mitzrayim ki Pari was told that no, these guys they left. They're not coming back. They ran away. They sat three days, but they're gone. That's what it means in pshat, and you were 100% correct. However, that pshat brings up a question. Question is, why did they have to do it that way? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to party were going for three days and then run away? After all, who was in the driver's seat? The Yidin or Pari at this point? Right, there's one maka and a second maka and a third maka. Phil makas bechiris. Pari is on the verge of death, and he knows that Pari himself is a bechir. So whatever they said, whatever they would ask for, they were going to get. So here's a big question. True, you said correctly. It's called a bricha. It's called an escape because they said we're going for three days, and then they ran away. But the question is, why did it have to play itself out in that way? Why Taka did it have to be that Moshe Rabbeinu tells them one thing and they do something else and then there's an escape and then they run after them? Why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu tell Pari, we are leaving forever. Good riddance. We were here 210 years. Genugshen. We're out of here. You don't like it? Okay, get ready for Maka number 11. Right? So we, we were in the driver's seat. Why did we have... The question is understood? Now that's a good question. That is the Alfie Rebbe's question in time. And I don't know if the other Mepharshim answered this question. I don't know because I didn't research it. But the Alter Rebbe asks this question and gives a very fascinating answer. And he says the following. We have a cloud. Everything that happens, Begashmis, everything that happens physically, is a mirror, is a reflection of what's going on Beruchnius as well. Everything that happens in this world, we see one end. We see the mirror. We see the bottom uh, part of what's going on. But all of this is reflective of something much deeper and much greater that's going on as well. And the same is with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. On a very simple level, on a very Gashmi's physical level, what happened? We were a slave nation. We were in bondage by the Mitzrayim and we left. We, came, we went out of slavery, we went out of bondage, and we came to Geula, which is amazing. And we celebrate that every year. All of that is true. But all that is only one level and one realm of what was going on. There was something much deeper going on at the same time, which was a ruchni yistiki yitzhiyas What does that mean? We weren't just a slave nation to slave masters who worked very, very hard. We were in a ruchni yistiki mitzrayim and we were in ruchni yistiki slavery. What does that mean to be in ruchni yistiki slavery? We have a nefesh alikis, we have godliness, we have holiness within ourselves, and we have the thing that enslaves our nefesh alikis. And that's a nefesh abahamis, or a yitzhara, or midas rois, whatever name you're going to give it, but all the negative things that go on, that they can enslave our ruchnis, our nefesh alikis, our desire to be good, our desire to be holy, our desire to be proper and do what we're supposed to be doing, our slichis in this world, and all of that can be in Mitzrayim, by the negative Yetzir Hora, Nefesh Abahamis, that enslaves us. So just as physically we were breaking out of bondage and breaking out of slavery and going to freedom, then we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to do like back-breaking work for taskmasters, all of this was going on the Gashmias. 
on a deeper level, Beruchni is what was going on, is that this we were not on a very high level spiritually in Mitzrayim. Is that something that we know? Right? What does it say? What, is, what does Arizal say? What level were we at? It says all the way down at the bottom, 49 levels of impurity, whatever that is, that number. But that's a magical number, 49, and we were all the way down there at the depths of, of, of klipa, of negativity, of unholiness. So we were very much enslaved. And on that day, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we were able to break out of all that and run to Hashem and to become Hashem's nation. Now, there's two ways, there's two ways, every person experiences this. Every person experiences that there's the goodness within me, and the Kedusha within me, and the, the, the Likus within me, and there is a lot of negative stuff. There's two ways to get rid of negative stuff. What are the, what are the two ways? Yes? To trick the Itahara, so maybe that's why they said three days... It's like the spiritual, they were trying to trick him into thinking that they're not really escaping. Excellent, excellent, excellent. But let me, let me, what you said is 100% correct. I just want to say maybe a drop different words, although I'm going to say the same thing that you just did. There's one way, again, a person has a negative midah. Example, anyone? Anger. Anger, great. Person has a temper. Obviously, present company, totally excluded. But maybe you have a cousin or a cousin's cousin that might suffer from temper. So they have a temper. So, I, so it's, a, it's a big issue. That's a big issue. The temper is a very bad mida, and caste is a very bad mida, and something that a person really, really has to work with. Okay, work on that is. Work on to, to be able to get out of the, that bad mida. Okay, how to deal with anger. Let's talk about this for a moment. Now, this is not a therapy class or anything like that. I just want to bring something up. Oh, I almost lost my temper now. <laughs> it's good I'm talking about this. How to deal with anger. So there's two ways. One way is that I deal with it so well that I'm able to transform that problem to the fact to the to the point it doesn't exist anymore. Like I, I, I learn about it and I think about it and I reflect about it and I meditate on it and I read books about it and I go to Shiurim about it and I know the whole everything. I learn so much about it that I don't have a temper anymore. I never lose my temper because I just have totally graduated that problem. It doesn't exist by me. Is that a great idea? Yeah. That's wonderful. That doesn't happen so easily and so quickly, for sure. What's the other way to deal with anger? No, what if I'm not at the level of totally transforming it and I'm not going to be angry anymore? So I'm sitting here and I, I suddenly get angry at someone says something. What should I do? Right now, what should I do? Should I think about anger and think about what it says and this safer, that, that safer? What, what should one do when they feel they're losing their temper? Push it off. Close my, drink, drink a cup of water, run around the block, go out of the room, staple my mouth shut. Right? All of those things, they didn't really solve the problem, ultimately. But what did they do? Distracted. I, I'm sorry? Distracted. Distracted, tricked, escaped the problem. The problem is still there. I still have an anger management problem. I do. But right now, I evaded it. I didn't let it grab hold of me. 
I didn't let it control me. I was stronger than it. I ran away. So someone might come and say, big deal, what did you accomplish? You still have an anger management problem. You didn't really accomplish anything great. All you did is just ran away from your problem. You didn't really change it. That's true to a degree. But at the same point, at that moment, I was victorious over my problem because I ran away from it. I didn't let it hold on to me. When a person feels they're losing their temper, the only option is this one. Just imagine a person's losing their temper. So what are you going to say? Oh, I'll bring you three Sfarim to read now about anger. <laughs> not going to work. I'm not reading Sfarim now. I'm, middle of, I'm going to scream at that person. Now there's one answer. <clears throat> I close my mouth. I run out of the room. I take a walk around the block. I take a cup of water. Anger was a muscle. You said that muscle, right? That muscle could be for any bad nida, for any bad temptation, for anything that I struggle with. Again, for people who struggle. So anything that a person struggles with, when one is faced with the actual struggle, it's not the time then to transform the struggle. Then is the time to run away from it. Don't let it get me. So another example is, there's a certain place that when I go there, it has a negative, it, it, it affects me negatively. Does that make any sense? Maybe a certain place, maybe a certain person, maybe a certain home, maybe a certain block, maybe a certain city, that I know when I'm there, I'm in danger. Beruchnis. Make sense, such a concept? Right. So what do I do? Guess what? I don't go there. Now, that, that's silly. That city, I'm not really a, I'm sorry? But what if like, you need it? Okay, well, so we'll get to that. But the first thing is, I try to avoid that. Someone says, but you're not really dealing with the problem, you're not transforming the problem, you're not really growing out of it. You're just, you're just escaping your problems. Escaping problems is not a bad thing. Escaping problems is the first step to overcoming them. And later, I'll, over, I'll overcome it and transform it. The first step is to escape. So again, whether it's the anger, whether it's going to that place, whatever it is, that's step number one. So, coming, coming back to our question. When the Yidin were in Mitzrayim, they were very deeply in spiritual problems. They were very deeply enslaved to their Yitzhahara, to their Nefesh Bahamas, to their bad Midas, to their bad tendencies. So what did they have to do spiritually when they left Mitzrayim? They had to escape their inner bed. Escape their inner struggles. Escape their inner problems. Because spiritually that's what they were doing? That's why physically, how did the story have to play itself out? That they escaped. They had to tell Pari, we're going for three days, and then escape. Because the physical story has to be the expression or the reflection of the spiritual story. So being that this was the very beginning of our Avodah as a, as a, as a people, this is called, in Yeshua's time, it's called the Leda of Klal Yisrael, the birth of Klal Yisrael. So because this was spiritually our step one, spiritual step one is yes, to escape my problems, to not let my problems overcome me, to run away from them. 
And then they started working on themselves to become better and to transform their problems. But that's step two. And that we celebrate again every year on Pesach. Every year on Pesach, we start from the beginning, recognizing that yes, Hashem created us with struggles. And yes, not necessarily do I have the ability immediately to transform all my struggles so that I don't struggle from th- with them anymore. So if I have my temper management problem, for example, yes, I'm not going to immediately not have a temper anymore, but I always have the ability to escape my temper. That we can always do. Transformation, growing out of problems altogether, so I shouldn't have any more struggles, I shouldn't have any more negative desires, I shouldn't have any more, that's a big avayda, maybe sometime later. The first thing that you has to know is that I always have the ability to escape from a bad situation. And never to let someone tell us or let ourselves tell us that a hey, big deal, you only escaped. You didn't really sh- deal with the problem. Escaping is step one of getting away from every problem. And that's what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was. They were escaping from their problems from their badness, from the Yitzhahara, and going into Hashem's embrace, that's what that that's what Yitzhiyas Yitzrayim was. So that's what the Altar discusses in the end of Perik, Lamed, Aleph, and Tanya. And he uses that to explain another very powerful idea. And that is Simcha. One of the most important things that we're talk, taught about over and over is Ivdu as Hashem Besimcha. Where does it say that? The Hillen. Which chapter? You only have 150 options? <laughs> Kuf, 100, exactly. Which is in the Mizmer starts with the words, Mizmer Lasaida, which we also say in Babin. And there it says, Ivdu es Hashem besimcha, Yid has to serve Hashem besimcha with joy. Now, sometimes people get very um, intellectual, or they say they're getting very honest, and they say, me, joy? Why would I have so much joy? After all, I know that I'm very far from such a great kid. I did that, and I did this, and I had this problem, and that problem, and I have a whole list of problems, and Hashem made me the worst case of her that he ever made in history. And, and why could I, how could I really be besimcha if I have all of these things that are negative about me? Makes any sense for someone to think that? Again, present company excluded? But theoretically, a person could say, and by the way, is that person necessarily wrong that they have all types of negative things? Could be that they're right. Person's really honest and says, yeah, I know the score. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that, you know, in Yiddish you say, how do you say, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not fooling myself. I'm not in denial. Right? Pari threw the kids into the night. But I'm not in denial. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. But anyway, she says, I'm not in denial, and I know all my problems, and I know all my negative things, and I know this. How could I be with simple? Pretty decent question. And not just it's a good question. The truth is, it's important for a person to recognize their flaws and their failings. It's important not to be arrogant and to be honest and to be a leave nishbar, like it says in Tehillim also. So it's important to know the score and know our failings and know our flaws and not be arrogant. At the same time, I should be besimcha. So I don't know how. If I do, you know, if you want me to pretend that I'm wonderful and a tzaddik, that's fine. But if you want me to recognize my flaws and failings and this, and then you tell me, but be besimcha anyway, why? Well, that's a great question, and there's more than one answer to that question. But one answer is right here in this chapter of Tanya. Now the Rebbe says, simple. I know you have flaws, sure I know. 
But you have the ability every day to escape them. Every single day. You have the ability, every day has the ability to wake up in the morning and whatever I am and whatever I was and whatever I did, I can take a sitter and daven. I can learn some Torah, I can do a mitzvah, I can help another yid. And at that moment, I'm escaped. I've ran away from whatever flaw I might have. I might have those flaws. But right now I'm davening. Right now I'm learning Torah. Right now I'm doing a mitzvah. Right now I'm connecting to Hashem in this amazing way. The flaws don't hold on to me right now because I escaped. I ran away. And the Altarebbe goes on and says, beautiful words. He says, you know what's the greatest simcha in the world? The simcha of escape from a bad place. I'll read. There's no greater simcha than running away from Golos and captivity. Like the mashal of a prince. The prince was in captivity. What does toichin mean? Literally grinding. In other words, this great prince was made to do menial labor in jail. Uminuval ba'ashpa. What's that? Wallowing in filth. And that prince, Yatsa lechafshi el base aviv hamelech. That prince is able to break out of jail, out of the garbage that he's laying in, and go to the house of the king. There's no simcha greater than the escape from a negative place. Says the Altarev, guess what? That mushal is not a mushal. It's a nimshal. What is the word for mushal in English? Parable or analogy. And what's a nimshal? An analog. Really, I didn't make that up. Analogy is the mushal and the analog is the nimshal. And the Altarev says that Ben Melach is the neshama within each and every one of us. Every one of us has a ben, melech, malchi, amloch, machadosh, baruch Sometimes called ben, melech, bas, melech, different places in Tanya. But that's the neshama. Now that neshama is in a body, in a person that might have a lot of flaws. And the, the, that neshama might feel like I'm in jail. And I have the ability at every moment, every day, no matter what, to take it out of jail. And to take it away from any flaw that it has and bring it right into Hashem. Again, this every time I open up a siddur, and every time I say a capital till, and I do a mitzvah, and help a yid, and do what I have to do. And that, so all of this is this. And now the Rebbe says later, and that is what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is all about. That although the yidin still had that badness within them, and that's why they had to escape. And it was only an escape, as we said. But that escape is what's behind this great yomtiv, the first yomtiv that we have, the yomtiv of Pesach, the yomtiv of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the knowledge. And the, that we remember that we always have at any given moment the ability to make that great escape and to rejoice, be the simcha, with that ability that Hashem gives us. That's one tiny idea about Pesach. Is that like the rise of the Benini? Of course. <laughs> that is the Avoid of a Benini. And who's a Benini? Everyone. The Avoid of a Benini is the Avoid of every year. The avoid of every yid is whether I'm holding there or not, whether I've graduated all my problems or not. When we graduate all problems, then we're tzaddikim. For that, there's a different sefer. You know, Tanya is called the sefer shel beinim, right? Did you do you have a chana um, a class in sefer shel tzaddikim too? What the class? <laughs> so, so you're right. 
that there's an Alter Rebbe wrote a book of Bainim. He also wrote a book called Sefer Shal Tzadikim. And then someone paid the Alter Rebbe a visit. Who was that? The Shvaler Zeda. You heard of the Shvaler Zeda? He's another who's a colleague of the Alter Rebbe, disciple of the Magid. And the Shvaler Zeda made a special trip to Liyajna, to the Alter Rebbe. And he said, I heard, or I saw, that you wrote a Sefer Shal Tzadikim. And you should know that the world is not worthy for this Sefer. And I will ascend to heaven with it. And he left. He went back to Shvaler. Short while later, a, a fire broke out in Liyajna. And that safer was burnt up, and the Shpalazeda passed away in his city of Shpala at the same time. That's what he told Alter Rebbe, I'm going to go to heaven with that safer. So it seems that that safer is not necessary for us. For us, it's necessary the safer of Bainanim, which is really the safer of, of escape, of helping us and teaching us how, yes, we might have these different flaws and things, doesn't matter. We have the ability to escape it every day of the year, and that ability is given to us when we're born. And we're born on Pesach, the Leda of Klal Yisrael, Yisias Mitzrayim, is that ability to escape. That is one point from, from that period of Tamadala. Okay, we have a few minutes left. I can say a little more? Okay. Timeless. <laughs> the other point, you mentioned Perik Mem Zayin, but I'll start from Perik Mem Vav. I'll go back a little bit. And that is... There is a pasuk in Mishlei. Which pasuk in Mishlei am I going to say? No, that's not a pasuk in Mishlei. <laughs> the pasuk in Mishlei is Kemayim haponim laponim kain lev haodam el haodam. What does that mean? Kemayim haponim laponim. Just like water reflects a face that's shown into the water. If you put your face over water and it's a clear sunny day, you should see a reflection of your face. So kemayim hapanim lepanim, like the reflection of one, uh, the water, the way water reflects a face, kein leva adam, a heart of a person reflects another heart. Which means that if you feel very much, if you feel strong, positive feelings for someone else, they will reflect those feelings back towards you. When you show Avas Yisrael to someone, that naturally should cause them to feel that a reciprocal Ava to you as well. And that's the idea. That's a Pasuk from Mishle written by Shlomo HaMelech. What, is that, what does the Al-Drebbe do with that Pasuk in Tanya? He says that we can use that to fulfill one very great mitzvah that all of us have, that we say we talk about every day in Davening, the mitzvah of Ahavas Hashem. We have a mitzvah, like we say in the beginning of Shema, Va'ahavta es Hashem to love Hashem. Now for some people, that's like the easiest mitzvah that there is. They're just like overflowing with love for Hashem when they wake up in the morning. And for some people, that's like a mitzvah that they struggle with. How do I awaken it? How do I feel it? Some people feel that it's easier for them to have Ahavas cake. Whatever it is, but never, whatever the, your feeling is, it's a mitzvah. Va'ahavta es Hashem alekecha to have Ahavas Hashem. And it's a tremendous avoidah to work on. And we work on it during davening, and we work on having Ahavas Hashem. How does one work on Abba's Hashem? There's more than one way to that, obviously. But one of the ways is the way of Kamayim Haponim Alaponim. By reflecting and meditating and thinking about the great Ava that Hashem shows us. And the more we think about and we focus on how much Ava Hashem shows us, that naturally inspires us to feel a reciprocal Ava back to Hashem. That's the idea. Kemayim upon him, just like water reflects the face. So the heart reflects the heart. 
So when we think about Hashem's Ahava to us, that should awaken within us an Ahava back to Hashem. Where did Hashem exhibit His Ahava to us in this unlimited and unprecedented way was the story of Pesach. You see us Mitzrayim. Going back to Pesach, that's where, that's where we're, you know, it's a couple days before Pesach, obviously. And what happens? And I go back to what I said before. We were a slave nation. That's, we were nobodies. We were nothings. We were slaves. And we were low physically, and we were low spiritually, and we were downtrodden. We were nothing. And Hashem comes to us, and He takes us out of Mitzrayim. And He doesn't just take us out of Mitzrayim. He raises us up to the highest level possible he gives us the Torah, he gives us his own Torah and his own mitzvahs. And the Alter Rebbe there in Perek Memvav describes it with the most beautiful mushal possible. And he talks about, I have to read the words because it can't be said better than it's written. He says, he says, any two people that if person A shows Ava to person B, that will make person B feel bad. But, Al-Achas, I'm sorry, will feel Ava back. A shows the person a feeling of love, so that brings the person B, feels the person A a feeling of love. Now, says the author, Allah has come of the Kama, much more so, in Melech Godel Verom, a great, Verom, a great and awesome king, Mara Ahavase Hagdela Vahatsuma, shows his tremendous and great love, Leish Hedyet Venivze Ushval Anoshim, so the great glorious king, the king of the entire empire, shows a tremendous feeling of love to this lowly simpleton, umenuval, who's dirty, mutal ba'ashpa, again, wallowing in filth. I'll never forget, when I learned this period Tanya the first time, I was, I don't know, 15, and our mashpia in yeshiva was teaching us this period. This has got to be Tavshin Memtes, 1989, 30 years ago. Right? Does it make sense? All right. 19 Tufshin Mantas, now it's Aintas, 30 years ago. So we're learning this time yet. Now, we learned that in New York over here in Cummins. And then, we, that was in the time when every day for Shachris we would go to 770 and have the Rebbe's minion, and it was there. We'd have it three times there. The Rebbe was, was very part, that's where we lived every day. So uh, every, every Monday and Thursday, or Sunday and Thursday, depending, the Rebbe would go to the Oyo of his father in law, the Friedrich Rebbe. And the way the Rebbe would go is the Rebbe has his car, and in front of it was a police car, usually in front, and a police car in the back, or another car, or a siren, whatever. And it was a whole very beautiful, very malchustic entourage. The Rebbe would go to the Ayah. And the Rebbe would stand on the sides and watch, and the brachas, or whatever it is. So our Mashpia described this to us, and he used this sometimes, a muscle sticks in your mind forever. He described for us, he says, so imagine you're standing there on the side, and, and the Rebbe's entourage rolls by, the Rebbe's car in the middle, in front of the police car, back this, and and driving down Kingston Avenue. Now, on Kingston Avenue then, and probably today too, there are unfortunately some homeless people who live there. So one of them lived in a specific uh, opening of a shop. We all knew who he was. We passed him a few times a day. And very nebach, I don't know if he was Jewish or not Jewish, dirty, filthy, smell. A person nebach, no home, no nothing. So this mashpia is describing to us, and, and the Rebbe's entourage is passing by. Suddenly all the cars stop. And the Rebbe comes out of his car and he walks over to the homeless person and he brings him into his car with him. He says, come with me. He brings him to the car and then they go back to 770 he brings him into his room and he talks to him and he sits with him and he gives him new clothing. So that's how he described us this mushal in Tanya of the Melech Ram, the great king, coming down to the person who is filthy and dirt and this and he, and he brings him to him. 
He descends to him from the king's palace in Kol Sorov Yachdov with all of his uh, ministers. He picks him up. He uplifts him out of the garbage. The great king takes this lowly, filthy person and brings him into the Heichel HaMelech, the king's chamber. Room within, chamber within chamber. None of the great servants or ministers of the king is allowed to go in there. The king just spends time uniquely with this person. He hugs him and kisses him. What is that person going to feel towards this king? How much thanks, how much appreciation, how much love, will that simple person who until a minute ago was homeless in the dirt and the filth, and now is the king's best buddy, being hugged and kissed by the king in, his, in the king's chamber. The, the level of love, double and doubly double, believe ha-hed el-nefesh ha-melech. This simpleton, how much love will he feel to the king? With a total connection of the soul. But what if this lowly guy is just not an emotional type of person? Will he still feel that love for the king? Says the Alter Rebbe. Even if this person has a heart made out of stone, figuratively. He may, hummus, he may say, will dissolve. The Hoyalamayim will be like water with the Shtapech Nafshir Kemayim because Hanefesh Manash. His soul will just, his heart will just melt and dissolve in his La'avas Hamelech with the love for his king. That's the Mushal. Like everything I just told you in this whole picture. Much greater, doubly, and much greater. That's what Hashem did to us, the Klal Yisrael. Hashem's greatness is beyond any king. He fills all worlds and transcends all worlds, and Hashem goes off into the Zayir and the Arizal and whatever. I'm skipping a bunch of lines. And none of them, Allah, really know where Hashem is. We say it in Kedusha. All the Malachim say, where is Hashem? Nobody really, none of the greatest Malachim really know where Hashem is and what He is. All the great Malachim and all the angels and the Srafim and this, Hashem said, they're all great. That's not where He decided to choose. Who did he choose? His nation. Am Yisrael. He came down to Mitzrayim, which is the lowliest place of the world, to a nation that was enslaved there. A place of impurity, a place of dirt, filth. And he didn't send Malachim, by the way, like we say in the Haggadah. Hashem comes himself all the way down to Mitzrayim. 
in order to bring them close to him, Bikiruv the Yichud Amiti, and the ultimate closeness and the ultimate oneness, Biskashrus Hanefesh Mamash, connecting to us totally that ultimate connection, with the divine kiss from Hashem, which is to speak the words of Hashem, Ledaber Dvar Hashem Zualocha, when we when we speak the words of Hashem. Visdakus Rucha Berucha connecting to us in spirit, Hasogas Atira, knowing the Torah. He hugs us through the Kiyama Mitzvah Smaisis, through every mitzvah that we do. So all of this mashal says the Alter Rebbe of the great king and the simpleton and the king coming down to the simpleton we're bringing him up to him. That's what Hashem does to each and every one of us. And in fact, every time we do a mitzvah, every time, thank you, every time we do a mitzvah we say, Baruch Atah Hashem. Excuse me. Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvayisot. What does word kiddishanu mean? Asher. We say Baruch Hashem. Hashem. Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvayisot. He sanctified us with his mitzvahs. Where else do we use that lashon kiddishanu? When 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 by a chasana, what does the chasana tell the kala? What makes the kiddushin? Hareyat. Mikudeshesli. The ultimate union is Mikudeshes. Says the Alter Rebbe. Every time you do a mitzvah, that's like a chasan being Mikadesh Akala, Hashem being Mikadesh us. That's Hashem saying, You're mine and I'm yours in doing this mitzvah and in learning this Torah and in saying this prayer to Hillel and in giving this tzedakah and in doing this Achnasa Sarkham. That's Kiddushonu B'Mitzvah. Hashem says, you're mine. I have separated you from all the nations to become mine. Just like that unique relationship of a chas and kal, of a husband and wife, where they become separate from everyone else, they're each other's. And Hashem says, we're each other's when we do a mitzvah. And that, says the Alter Rebbe, is what Yisrael Mitzrayim is all about. And that's what Shleimah Malach means when he says, that when we think about, when we reflect on the tremendous ava and the tremendous chesed that Hashem did by Yisrael Mitzrayim to each and every one of us individually, and the more we think about that, the more we're able to feel that tremendous ava back to Hashem and recognize He gave away he, he, he came and, and devoted himself exclusively to us. So what that gives us the ability is to decide that we have that same ability and that same schus of devoting ourselves to him and making that union a complete union together. And that is specifically on the night of Pesach. But then we have that mitzvah to carry that throughout the entire year. And that's why every day of the year there's a mitzvah of Zechiras Yitzias Mitzrayim. But Pesach is the time when we're given the Kayach for the entire year. Just like Everything that we do has its special time, and from that special time, we draw kaya for the whole year. Take, for example, tshuva. When is the time for tshuva? So, Yom Kippur is the time, and from Yom Kippur, we take the kaya to have tshuva every day of the year. Um, simcha, Simcha Seira or Purim is the times like the, of Simcha, and from there we take for the entire year. Everything has its moment, that that's when the energy comes for the year. Pesach moment is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That Hashem gave the ability to a people who are as lowly as possible, says, 
picked them up and says, you're mine. That happens every year on Pesach. So whenever a person might feel, I'm low, I'm far, I'm difficult, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, could be right, could be true, until Pesach. Pesach, as Hashem says, I don't really care. I'm coming right down there, right to you, and I want to pick you up and take you to me. And every day of your life, and every day of the year, you have that ability to wake up in the morning and say, I don't care who I am or what I am or what I was or what I struggle with. I have that ability to escape, to go straight into Hashem's lap and be Kiddushonu, be Mitzvahisa, be Mikudeshes to Hashem, be one with Hashem and fulfill that mission that Hashem entrusted us, each and every one of us with and gives us the Koyach to do both for ourselves as well as for the world around us, make ourselves better people, make the world around us better, a better place and a place that should be fit ultimately for Hashem to move into this world permanently with the coming of Mashiach, may it be this year, and we'll have a current Pesach, our Pesach in Yerushalayim, the Mashiach, the Kenya, the Besamekta Shashlishi.